Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. One year ago, who would have thought that our Christmas season would look and feel so different? 2020 has been an interesting year. Stay-at-home orders, social distancing, masks, and the unprecedented use of the word unprecedented, virtual graduation ceremonies, the fact that we can't gather as family or as a church for Christmas, those were all some of my not-so-favorite things. But 2020 had its own share of amazing moments. We were less busy as a family, so that was good. Noah did virtual school, so I got to be cookie and muffin tester for his baking projects. And I played a supporting role in one of Isaiah's films for his class. But one of my absolute favorite things this year was that Hamilton the Musical came out on Disney+. For those of you who may have never heard of it, Hamilton is a musical about Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers of the United States. When it premiered on Broadway about five years ago, Reviews were exceptional, and so tickets were really hard to come by. Disney originally intended on bringing it to theaters in 2021, but due to COVID, plans changed, and they brought up the release date and decided to release it on Disney+. Three years ago, my family and I saw Hamilton in Chicago. We had been keeping our eye on Broadway tickets, but we weren't about to spend an arm and a leg for tickets. So when when it opened in Chicago, we purchased tickets and we took the family on a road trip down to Chicago. It was a great birthday. We did all the things. We had deep dish pizza. We visited the Bean and the Wrigley Field and of course the Jordan store. We spent about a week in Chicago and when my birthday finally came, I was giddy with excitement. And for those of you who know me, you know I love my birthday. So we're sitting in the theater and I'm literally like a kid on Christmas day. I fidgeted with excitement and when the show started, I sang every single song, much to my family's embarrassment. One of the unique aspects and partly the reason I'm such a fan of this show is that this important historical lesson of a man who founded America's banking system is told through hip hop. The production is done all to music, very, very minimal speaking. It is truly unique. And so when Hamilton premiered on July 3rd, I watched it about five times a day. I watched it once by myself, once with each boy, and then in the evening we had some friends over. Alexander Hamilton was born in the Caribbean, orphaned as a child, and sent to New York City for studies. Hamilton was a volunteer in the rebel militia and eventually became a key aide to George Washington during the American Revolutionary War. Hamilton had an unshakable conviction that things needed to be changed in the country he called home. The road leading up to the American Revolution didn't happen overnight. It took several years and many events to push the colonists to a point where they wanted to fight for their independence. A revolution is defined as a sudden, complete, or marked change in something. 
world history has been shaped by many revolutions, from the American Revolution to the French Revolution, the Industrial Revolution. Every revolution is fueled by certain principles and non-negotiables. Without these convictions, revolutions would not occur. A revolutionary is a person who either participates in or advocates for a revolution. Some great revolutionaries, you guys know this one, Ernesto Che Guevara, Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela. But today, I wanna to talk to you about the greatest revolution of all time, the birth of Jesus Christ. Yes, little baby Jesus, meek and mild, who was born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, instigated the greatest revolutionary in the world. Of the birth of Christ, Matt Chandler says that God was about to create one of the apexes in human history. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today that we're gathered, even though we're in different homes, that we're gathered together and that we are gathered to hear your word. I pray that the words that come out of my mouth will be your words. And I pray that every heart, every ear that is listening, that it will reach into their souls, oh God, and that they will listen to the seed and that they will water the seed in Jesus' name. Okay, so the reading is going to be coming from Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 56. I'll just read it. You can follow along. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. In these few verses, just before this happened, Mary goes to the home of Elizabeth, who is also pregnant with a world changer, John the Baptist. Elizabeth greets Mary, and Mary, who's pregnant with the Messiah, sings prophetically about the life of her unborn son. She bursts out into song, kind of like a musical. It was the very first Christmas carol. In your Bible, the headings of these verses, 46 to 56, might be called Mary's Song. It's also known as the Magnificat. And for over 2,000 years, this song has been sung by Christians all over the world. In some religious settings, they sing this song every single Sunday. So let's look at verse 46 to 48. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. In her song, Mary praises God because he chose her to carry the Messiah. I didn't have a song when I found out I was pregnant, but I did have a song that I sang a lot as a young mom. It was, our God is an awesome God. 
There's just something about that song that always calms me and reminds me of the awesomeness of God. And it still does to this day. It's a really simple chorus that shifts my focus from where to where it should be, to Jesus. God didn't choose an established woman with years of mom experience, with the most beautifully created, curated home to raise a king in, with, who had other uh, well and perfectly mannered siblings for this king. He didn't choose a perfect mom. He chose a poor, inexperienced girl who by all standards of society shouldn't have been pregnant. It's just like God to choose the most unlikely and give them the greatest privilege. Mary was honored, humbled, and hopeful about becoming the mother of the Messiah. In the next few verses, Mary's attention shifts from herself to the world around her and her unborn child. You know the song, Mary, Did You Know? Well, these next few verses, it answers that song. And yes, Mary did know. In verses 51 to 53, Mary sings about three revolutionary changes that will happen because of the birth of Jesus Christ. She sings about how Jesus' birth is about to flip things upside down. There are three revolutions in these verses, so let's go through them. First, there's a moral revolution in verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their inmost thoughts. God extends mercy to those who fear him. In Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10, there's a story about Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and super rich. But he was also curious about the man called Jesus. So he went to see him. There's one little, no pun intended, problem. He was short. So here we have the chief tax collector, a man who was highly esteemed, though probably not well-liked, pursuing Jesus to the point where he risked embarrassment by climbing a tree to catch a glimpse of him above the crowd. I mean, chief tax collectors just don't do that. He risked embarrassment to find Jesus, and Jesus noticed him. Zacchaeus' humility captured the heart of Jesus. In verse 52, we read of the social revolution. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but has lifted up the humble. God is in the business of using nobodies. He never uses the renowned. He always looks for the obscure. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, when we read about David being selected for king, Samuel went to Jesse and asked Jesse to bring out all of his sons. Jesse brought out seven of his sons. He didn't even have a second thought about David. It's only when Samuel said, are these all of your sons? Did Jesse remember that David was out in the field? David was just doing his job. He was playing his role as keeper of the sheep, but Jesus found him and exalted him. And then in verse 53, we read of the economic revolution. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. God always meets the needs of the poor. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we read the account of Elijah and the widow with two sons. She was in debt, and the system at that time would require that she sell her sons to, her, to those she owed money to. Elijah the prophet told her to gather jars from her neighbors. And this woman, this needy woman, 
acted in faith and carried out all of the prophet's instructions. The story ends with the woman having enough oil to sell and repay her debt. In these three verses, Mary sings about God's priorities and his priorities were not the priorities of that day. From those verses, we see that God is most comfortable with the humble, the weak, and the lowly of the world. He flips things upside down. The entire book of Luke focuses on Jesus as the Messiah and Lord whose life, death, and resurrection makes salvation available to all people everywhere, the least, the last, and the lost. The entire gospel emphasizes that God respects the poor, he exalts the poor, he cares for the poor, he helps the poor, and he remembers the poor. The birth of Jesus not only brings good news, but it reorders society. And when we grab a hold of that good news, it should reorder us. And in turn, we do what we can to reorder the world around us. The gospel not only works in inner transformation, but it should also produce an outward transformation, one that changes the way we speak, changes the way to think, changes the way we act. When God gets a hold of us, he revolutionizes our lives. He turns things upside down and we have to look at the world differently. Not everyone joins a revolution. Some just sit by as spectators during a revolution. Some may even attend events that back revolutions but not be a part of it. And in the same way, it's possible to be a part of a group of believers and not be part of God's revolution. But when God gets inside of us, everything should change. If he flips things upside down, then he's, and he's the one we follow, then so should we. If the Bible teaches us anything, and if the story of Christmas means anything, it is that God is on the side of the forgotten. He's the God of the poor. He's for those nobody else fights for. And he's the one who pours attention on those no one gives a second look to. You see, at the heart of this revolution that was started over 2,000 years ago is love. It was because God so loved that he sent his son. That's John 3.16. You know, someone once described me as sunshine mixed with a bit of hurricane. And yes, I know, I laugh. Some of you might agree with that. But I see that in myself. It's this tension of pleasant, yet I don't want to say destructive, maybe strong. Well, William Barclay says, there is loveliness in the Magnificat, which is what Mary's song is also called that in that loveliness, there's dynamite. Christianity begets a revolution in each man and a revolution in the world. If you were to write the story of the greatest man to ever walk the earth, where would you choose to have the story set? What would his family look like? What would he do for employment? Who would his friends be? Who would he fight for? A stable seems like an unlikely place to start a revolution, but that's where it all started, in a stable outside a forgotten village called Bethlehem. The inn was full because families were making their way back home to register for the census. No one took a second look at this couple. Mary, she was exhausted from the journey, and Joseph was equally exhausted. 
It had been a long time since anything important had happened in Bethlehem. Bethlehem had become nothing more than a quiet town in Judea. Jesus came into the world in a forgotten village to two teen parents, not the expected backdrop of a revolution. The greatest revolution in history started in a stable. And I believe that the story unfolds this way as a reminder of, to us of, how, of what God prioritizes. Jesus' birth was the beginning of the greatest revolution in human history. The gospel is the greatest and most revolutionary message the world has known and will ever know. What God started in Bethlehem was a moral, social, and economic revolution whose effects should still be felt today. Christmas is the anniversary of a revolution and the birth of the greatest revolutionary. Those peaceful nativity sets in your home, those are revolutionary symbols. Christmas carols are revolutionary anthems. I'm sorry if I'm crushing your pictures of a warm, fuzzy Christmas. But Jesus came to change the world. He is our commander in chief and we have to continue the revolution he started. We are messengers of freedom. We are conduits of reconciliation. We are his hands and feet. We can't afford to just go through the motions. We need adventurous faith. We can't play it safe. We need to follow his lead. And we cannot conform to society's rules. We need to confront and present Jesus to those around us. A socialist in the 1920s said, we socialists would have nothing to do if you Christians had continued the revolution begun by Jesus. Dr. Martin Luther King warned decades ago, if the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without any moral or spiritual authority. You know, the Magnificat can be compared to our Canadian Constitution. The Canadian Constitution is the supreme law of Canada. It provides fundamental rules and principles that govern our land. The Magnificat is the foundational document of our faith. It is why Jesus came. He came to launch a revolution. At the beginning of December, we launched our Be A Light campaign. We had three initiatives, a winter coat and boot drive, our food drive, and our Christmas blessing tree. With our Christmas blessing tree, as Pastor Wayne said earlier, we were able to support 23 families in York Region. Most of these families were connected to the victim services of York Region. We sponsored 16 of their families and provided winter essentials and Christmas gifts. Here's a thank you note from the director. Please extend our incredible gratitude to the members of your church family who supported so many of our clients this year with the holiday sponsorship program. We have so many in need after experiencing various traumatic situations such as domestic violence, human trafficking, elder abuse, loved ones lost to suicide, homicide, motor vehicle accidents, and so much more. These individuals may not be able to provide a holiday celebration for their loved ones due to financial crisis, mental health issues, and being overwhelmed with grief. 
but you gave these clients some hope in a time when they needed it most. Your contributions will put a smile on a child's face, give a parent some peace during a time of turmoil, and hopefully a few moments of happiness. No one can take their pain away completely, but your goodwill will give some inspiration that good things can still happen. Thanks so very much. Happy holidays from all of us at Victim Services. Passed away often challenges the leadership with the question, if Aurora Cornerstone were to close its doors, would we be missed by the community? At the beginning, I said, every revolution is fueled by certain principle and non-negotiables. And without these convictions, revolutions would not occur. Do you believe that? What are your principles? What are your non-negotiables? What are your convictions? My challenge to you all is to make the commitment to continue the revolution that was started over 2,000 years ago. Spectatorship is overrated. Being a part of the revolution is great. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca